Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. Yvonne, welcome to the Church Times podcast. Oh, it's good to speak to you, Ed. Okay, could you just tell us about your organisation, Azalos, and, and what you what, what its purpose is? Thank you, Ed. It's good to speak to you. Um, I'm founder and CEO of Atalos, and uh, I created Atalos, a charity, uh, to address uh, an, a need which I saw in society after I was bereaved myself um, a few years ago. And, and that need is, is signposting um, uh, to support services and information and, and also uh, helping with creating capacity for bereavement support in our communities. Um, and that's something that I think as a country, we're not terribly good at, at recognizing the need of that. Um, when people are bereaved, we tend to think um, we think about, about supporting them around the funeral and we, we think about uh, helping them to find a counsellor if things get tough for them. But what we're not tending to realise is that um, the most effective uh, bereavement support comes from people finding information and, and peer support and services that, that are just right for them and help them with their immediate and daily and practical needs and um, and people around them who get it, who get the, the things that are going on for them, who can help them to navigate day-to-day -day life. Um, and not to say that, that counsellors are not important and they are really important, um, but they are our specialists. And, and what would be really lovely is if we were able to reserve um, their time uh, for helping people with complex and, and complicated grief. So I think, I think you're right that um, people are often directed towards counselling when they're bereaved. But do you think perhaps sometimes that happens too soon or isn't necessarily what they need? Rather, it's other services. Yes. Uh, it's it's again, it's not that people don't need counselling, but, but often um, people will need counselling after some time. Uh, and usually what happens is that, that uh, counsellors will only offer their services after um, a, a length of time, and rightly so, because, because they are our specialists to be able to help people to unravel the things that um, uh, where they're stuck and where there are issues that they need to um, need to address. With bereavement, um, the real, you know, the support that most people need uh, is actually just helping through, um, helping them through, as I was just saying, the, the practical um, and day to day um, issues, understanding their responses in grief, um, all the pressures that they're under and, and just helping them to, to get through life. If that's done well and if that's done effectively, then most people um, we find will, will say that they, they will navigate their, their grief well and, and, and effectively. And many, many others within that will be able to identify where the real issues are that they need the specialist help for. And this is the time, I mean, you mentioned often immediately after um, a loved one's death, you know, there's, there's a lot of support, people are there at the funeral. But then it's often, I think I know from experience in the, in the weeks and months after the funeral, can be quite isolating, can't it, that people feel somewhat alone, but they might not yet be ready for counselling. So there's a sort of period of time that's quite crucial where there seems to be there's a lack of support. Yes, there seems to be a bit of a gap. Uh, speaking to uh, a lead uh, HR um, person in one of the, the, the large companies recently, um, this was was highlighted, how companies are wanting so much to, to support their bereaved employees. Um, but what's tending to be offered 
um, is um, a, a series or a number of counselling sessions. But the dilemma is that they are being obviously offered an, a number of months down the line, usually about after about three months. And, and as I say, rightly so. But there is this gap between um, the person being bereaved and, and, and that support being available to them, where the issues can compound themselves and actually the, the issues can be created by that support, not the right support at that point being offered. So what we are trying to say, along with um, many others in the in the bereavement world, the, the services in the bereavement world, is that what's needed, um, or whether the gap at the moment is in signposting, helping people to find the right support services and the right information, and in, in finding community support to get them through that period. And if more people were um, able to do that, then a lot of the pressure that is that there is currently on our counselling services will be relieved. And hopefully, um, as I say, they will be uh, used for um, the specialist um, needs in, in helping people to un unpack the, the real issues that they've, they have identified that are going on for them, that are causing them to, to be stuck on their grief journey. And you also write, I think, that some of the signposting that goes on isn't quite adequate. I mean, what, what would some of the examples be of signposting to resources that don't help people and then what what would you be offering that you think is more helpful first thing to say is that generally speaking signposting doesn't happen and most people when they're bereaved find that the professionals that they come across whether that be gps funeral directors um, or the emergency services or whoever do not actually send them to help and, and many people talk about feeling very isolated because they aren't found they, they don't find help and they're not sent to help and that's why uh, a central uh, signposting service, a, a comprehensive central signposting service such as um, we are, uh, we have created and we are offering is so important. But then what tends to happen is that when people do realise that signposting is needed, they create a, a rather short list of the um, generally the same well-known organisations and uh, they're very reputable, they're very good, and that's why they 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 keep being repeated. But but so often they will find themselves over, overloaded, oversubscribed. And actually, um, what we would advocate is that really good signposting is providing choice, is providing the whole range of information and services that exist for individuals to be able to select from them what is what is right for their needs, for their and their preferences. And, and also to be able to help them in a holistic way, because bereavement affects our whole beings, our whole life. It affects us physically, emotionally, practically, spiritually, psychologically, in our relationships. And just one service isn't going to be necessarily the answer. So what people need is the whole range. They need um, the specialists as well as the local informal support services, people who just understand grief and can get alongside them. And, and who can listen to them um, as they talk out uh, out their problems, um, as well as uh, all the uh, all the specialists and uh, as well. So when they can have that range and um, range of the type of support that's offered, it, it might be peer support, it might be um, social media support, it, it might be information. It, all sorts of types of bereavement support are on offer. Sitting down with with families and um, and so on. They can choose. They can choose um, what what are their preferences, what uh, what fits their needs and their availability, um, and also um, the type of support that is going to be helpful for them with the particular issues that are going on for them. 
And one of the things that I often say is that the, the nearer to your particular circumstances you can find support, the better, because when we say peer support, if you can sit alongside or, or, or hear from people who have been through something very similar to your own situation, they are so helpful and can be so helpful in, in helping you to understand what's going on for you and helping you to navigate the issues um, that are very specific to your scenario. Um, but they can also give you hope. A lot of people um, will say that no matter what people say to them about you'll get through this, they won't actually believe it until they come across somebody who's been there and done that and got the t-shirt and actually survived it. Um, and so by finding the support services that are just right for you, um, according to your needs, as well as the range to help you with your preferences and, um, and to help you in all the different types of way that bereavement will affect you, most people will find that they'll navigate this well and it will provide for them um, the holistic healing um, that, that so many of us need. Presumably um, attending a group or meeting someone locally uh, enables that relationship, friendship to perhaps to be um, long, longer term where they, they might develop a friend who can accompany them on the longer journey. That's exactly right. And that's so important because, again, uh, people tend to think that bereavement is, is about the immediate days and weeks around the death. But for most people, grief will the pain of grief will begin to hit them after uh, the funeral and in the weeks and months that follow. And, and for the years that follow, uh, we often say, um, you know, you don't get over uh, a bereavement. You learn how to live with it. And you 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 learn the art of of taking that that pain with you that 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 loss with you into the future and ensuring that it becomes a a memory that's comfortable for you. Could can I talk about funding? Because you know you you write that there's lots of funding for some of the better known organisations, obviously the national ones. Um, but for this kind of support, is is it really underfunded at the moment? It is woefully underfunded. We seem to have had decades of, of what we would call death denial of our country um, wanting to sort of push death aside and, and trying to pretend that it's not going to happen to us. And so what that has done has meant that we have um, ignored um, the services that can provide um, so much help at the time of, of death. And of course, everyone's going to be bereaved uh, sooner or later. What's tended to happen is that the, the smaller informal services that are so vital and so helpful have been overlooked. And many of them post the pandemic, because um, at a time when they've been needed more than ever, are finding themselves underfunded and, and have been closing down or are facing closure. And, uh, and ourselves as a signposting service, uh, we don't receive any formal funding, even though we provide a, a vital service for the country, which was relied upon. Uh, by the government and the health service and many key organisations um, during the pa pandemic and subsequently. And so what, what would you like to see from the main political parties at the next election? I mean, what what is their, do they have a, a policy position on this? Have, have any of them offered funding? Uh, no, not as yet. They, um, they, the government is becoming more aware and there are conversations that are taking place around this. The UK Commission on Bereavement uh, in October highlighted um, the massive undercapacity in the system and the need for everyone to, to work together, including faith groups, 
um, to work together to to create more community support and also highlighted the importance of of comprehensive signposting uh, and that is being um, being discussed by the government they're they're talking about it but what's really needed is some committed funding for many of the voluntary support services that exist the informal support services um, committed funding for bereavement support so that um, we can together help to prevent uh, many of the um, issues in society. What many people don't realise is that grief, unless it's supported, um, can become suppressed. And when it's suppressed, people can think that they've dealt with it and they can carry on, but then it comes out in all sorts of ways in the future. It comes out in people's behaviour, it comes out in um, people's functioning, it comes out in, rela in, in relationships breaking down, um, and it comes out in mental ill health. And one of the things that is sad at the moment for, um, for the bereavement sector is the fact that so much money is going to mental health services when actually a lot of what's going on is actually bereavement related and grief related. Uh, we are finding that, uh, that many mental health crisis teams are referring their clients to us because they know that their clients um, are, are thinking that they've got a mental health problem when it's actually grief. And also because there is a mental health problem, um, which they have discovered is, is grief related from a bereavement that was suppressed from, from long before. So there's a massive overlap between um, grief and mental ill health that's not being recognized. And so um, what we would like to see is, is committed funding for bereavement that recognizes the relationship um, between um, grief and mental ill health, and indeed uh, a vast number of outcomes in our society. Um, people whose lives go into free fall because they're not supported at the time of this um, great crisis in their life. And many other uh, issues arise with job loss, addiction, um, debt, homelessness, and so on. And just to recognise that that if that a little bit of funding for bereavement support would actually prevent a lot of issues in society and would save the, the public purse multi-millions. So that, that could be, I mean... In addition to the the moral argument, the economic argument is strong that if you if you spend money now to prevent the, the cost of interventions further down the line will be much less. Yes, absolutely. Sadly, um, we're not very good at at prevention, are we? Um, our um, decisions and, and government policies uh, they they focus around four year terms. And, uh, and there are a lot of changes of, of ministers and, and a lot of changes of decisions. And if only we could um, be, be prepared to, um, to dare to invest in prevention, um, it would make such a difference. Uh, our NHS is under pressure. Uh, our finances are under pressure. Um, and a little bit invested in, in bereavement support would prevent so many issues and would save the country a fortune. And then do you, have you been lobbying politicians or government or do you have any MPs who have taken this on? We've spoken to many people over time and um, whilst they have heard us and they agree with us, we've actually heard heard ministers say that um, prevention is not something that they do. And one of the reasons for that is because you can't prove uh, prevention. You can you can get votes on, um, on showing outcomes uh, or showing alleviate how you can alleviate symptoms but you can't do stats on prevention very easily and the government as as we all know is very keen to get votes and um what we would would like is a public outcry over the need for prevention uh because 
whilst we know that we can't prove it statistically um, so easily, it's something that we all um, desperately need and it would save save the country a fortune. You, you mentioned faith groups. I'm just interested in how churches, what part churches can play in this. Can, can they make use of your resources? There'll be people in their congregations who agree, but also people they um, minister to in, in the wider community as well. Yes, uh, we were delighted to find that the um, UK Commission on Bereavement actually highlighted faith groups as um, as a useful and, and very important resource. Uh, one of the reasons for that is because of the need for community support and recognising that faith groups and churches um, in particular in, are in every community. Um, another reason um, is that the supporting people spiritually um, when they're grieving has been has been somewhat overlooked. It's been a neglected um, factor in, in, in bereavement support. So there, um, the public sector is getting behind the, um, the faith groups and saying, actually, we need you. Uh, we need you to, um, to get involved in bereavement support. We need you to recognize the uh, enormous need that there is in society and the difference that it would make if you, if you did. And that's the reason why we are rolling out our bereavement journey program, the bereavement journey. Uh, it's a resource which is a peer support uh, resource, groups sitting down um, with each other, watching films and, and talking about the impact um, upon, uh, upon oneself. Um, we're rolling that out across the country and it's now in uh, 217 communities of, of churches of, of all denominations as a means of, uh, of trying to say, here are the churches um, trying to help responding to this massive UK need. I'm assuming that so the resources are there, so a, a parish church or local church or group would be quite straightforward to put something like that on for their local community. Yes, you can just go to uh, thebereavementjourney.org. There's a website specially for it. Um, but we also uh, are running Loss and Hope. Loss and Hope is our, is our wing of our charity um, which is training and equipping churches in, in bereavement support. And uh, bereavement support is more than just run, running a programme. Yeah. Um, as you will see from, um, from looking at Loss and Hope, we, we offer training in helping churches to become bereavement friendly so that they can embrace uh, bereaved people in the whole of their lives, as well as offering um, a support programme that will help them to, to explore their grief. And one of the things that we've done with the Bereavement Journey uh, programme is is um, updated recently um, and put a more of an emphasis upon unresolved grief because um, we had so, we've had so many decades of denying grief and not understanding grief that many many people across the land have suppressed their grief and they uh, there are bereavements that they have never had the opportunity to properly explore and so that program is helping people to to just gently look at at mm. something that may have happened to them years ago that they weren't given the opportunity to to process. Can I just ask about the bereavement journey? I mean, it's 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 grown over the years, I think. And how has it been received and what sort of impacts it having nationally? Well, it's been received extremely well. It's been um, been around for over 25 years and it's been proven to be really effective with our, with guests, with people who have been bereaved in any circumstance. Um, people have, you know, very, very overwhelmingly said that um, it's helpful um, in so many ways. But um, since it's been recently updated and, and it's being it's being adopted by the churches across the UK, um, we are finding that the response is awesome. 
people are, the churches are saying that um, most people, um, when they're advertising to the public, that is, when they're daring to do so, most people are coming from outside church, 80 to 90% of their guests from outside church, some of them 100%. Um, doctors, funeral directors, social prescribers, sending people to the bereavement journey because they are um, they're so keen for faith communities to support, um, to, to support people um, in their community. And then the bereavement journey has an optional session on faith, and it's very um, deliberately optional. And what the churches are saying is that of all those people who are coming from outside church, um, 90% plus are coming to the um, choosing to come to the faith question session. And many of those people wanting to carry on talk and um, to talk about faith and continuing their involvement with church. So it's it's extraordinarily missional um, as well. And the other reason uh, why it is, is that bereaved people want so much to keep um, to, to remain supported over over a long period of time as uh, because grief doesn't go away um, and the issues continue for a very long time. And so um, they become the guests become um, very supportive of each other. Um, they share their, uh, their, their, their deepest needs and are with each other and, uh, and they open up their hearts to each other. And so they become very close knit and they want to carry on being together. So, again, even if they don't come to talk about faith, they'll often um, want to carry on meeting and and churches are just simply offering a social group uh, something else to come to or suggesting they might like to come along to worship. They're very open to doing that. Um, and churches are saying that they are. listening to this week's episode of the church times podcast you can find more news analysis comment and book reviews on our website churchtimes.co.uk if you are not yet a subscriber to the church times you can try your first 10 issues for just 10 pounds you'll get the paper delivered to your door every friday plus full access to our website and digital archive go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more